Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. Is up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Monday, March the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, Ryan Tannehill traded. We'll discuss the fallout of Miami's former top 10 picks departure, and as the Dolphins' vision for the future comes into focus, why Chris Greer has been entrusted to be the most valuable man in the organization. Plus, are the Dolphins done selling off parts? We'll discuss that, and a few defensive prospects, and a whole lot more. But first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You guys can find me on a multitude of audio platforms. I do 790 ESPN South Florida quite regularly. I do the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson. And of course, you can find all my written work up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We crushed records last week. We had three different days of more than 6,000 unique visitors on LockedOnDolphins.com. So thank you all for that. Also, follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like Matt Williamson's Locked On NFL podcast and the Locked On Heat podcast. For all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams, I've got a lot I want to talk about. Let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. Ryan Tannehill, no longer a member of the Miami Dolphins, but we are going to break the radio and podcasting golden rule here and bury the lead because I want to give that topic proper time and segment two is supposed to be our longest segment. So we'll get into that here in segment number two. But right now, I want to talk more about the Dolphins in the present and the future because Ryan Tannehill is a thing of the past. We'll pay him proper respects. But right now, you guys can check out the article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. It is titled, Stocked with Draft Picks, The Fate of the Fins Falls on Chris Greer. And here is what the article details. Now, it links back to the column on Friday where I talked about how the Dolphins, they're not tanking. Yeah, they might lose a lot of games as a result of this approach, but they're not tanking. They're just taking the necessary steps to rebuild this football team after what Mike Tannenbaum did to it, inflicting so much pain in all of our lives, in our football fandom lives, that is, I should say. But the article states, and I started off by going over some of the past misgivings of the Dolphins front office structure, who the guys that Stephen Ross hired and for what purpose, because I think it's important to decide or decipher what Chris Greer was responsible for, because he has been the director of college scouting going back to 2007, all the way through 2015, which is supposed to be the top guy in terms of your draft ideas, but the different GMs and now the football GM or the football VP and Mike Tannenbaum, a lot of the responsibility was muddled in terms of who did what and who was responsible for which draft picks. So the article talks about how in the early stages of Chris Greer's career, geez, say that five times fast, but early in his career, it was Bill Parcells and we know that he was the final say on all things football. Then it was Jeff Ireland who Bill Parcells handpicked and put into position here in Miami. We knew that he was the head honcho and the one that ran things. And then it got a little bit 
mysterious in terms of who actually had complete control, who was in charge of what, because Dennis Hickey got put into the role and he was like, I want to say the seventh or eighth option on the Dolphins GM list that year. Like not even really considering the fact that they want to be a serious take a serious approach to putting the right pieces in place in the front office. And he was always a temporary fix, a stopgap at the position. And so that's kind of where I put Chris Greer's vote or weight carried in the Dolphins building. And I think that he really started to take that position in 2014. And you might say, yeah, Travis, that's convenient of you to say because 2013 was the worst offseason in team history. Remember the phrase, I got picks and I got money from Jeff Ireland. Well, yeah, you did, sir. And you also got yourself fired because you had those picks and that money. So the next year, I think that's when Chris Greer's elevation up the ladder started to begin as Dennis Hickey eventually takes the job for two years and then gets fired. And then Chris Greer becomes the GM in 2016, but is still second fiddle behind Mike Tannenbaum. And there's an article, I think it was by Omar Kelly back in 2015, talking about the decision to bring Mike Tannenbaum in and Stephen Ross loved the fact that Tannenbaum knew his weaknesses as far as football evaluation and that's why he trusted Tannenbaum to delegate ideas and delegate roles to the guys on his staff because he wasn't a football evaluator so let's give him the job of top head honcho makes sense right Stephen Ross hopefully has learned from those mistakes and I think that's why he realized Tannenbaum had to go and while Chris Greer was already GM he now has Chris Greer as the true GM as the top guy on the throne of the Dolphins entire decision making process and now here we are putting together a coach or a front office staff and coaching staff for that matter that is very impressive that is decorated in success and championship pedigree and respect around the league and again a lot of that goes to Chris Greer so the caveat of that is to say that Chris Greer has had responsibility or at least more power and saying power in the draft room from 2014 through 2018. And that's what this article examines the Dolphins draft success over that stretch. Now they've taken 38 players over the course of those five years. Everyone knows you get seven picks a year. So the average should be 35 for the five years. So Miami made three more picks than they were allotted from the NFL's automatic draft allotment per team. So we're looking at the success rate of those drafts and for the purpose of this idea, we're going to take off 2018 because it's just too early to tell if these guys are draft hits or draft busts, even though I think that goes against Chris Greer's credit because Minka Fitzpatrick, Jerome Baker, and Jason Sanders for my money are all draft hits already, but we'll go ahead and go back to the 2017 draft as the most recent one we can grade here. And I put them into four categories and Going off these four drafts, the Dolphins had 30 players on the four drafts between 2014 and 2017. So grading 30 players on these four criteria, a surefire hit, a guy that's an undeniable impact player on your team. Think like a Minka Fitzpatrick, like a Xavier Howard, like a Laramie Tunzel, and then a starter, a guy that was a starter for more than one season and contributed in that way, like a Bobby McCain, for instance. A contributor alone, just a rotational player or a special teams ace. Think like Terrence Fade or like Walt Aikens in that regard, or a failed pick like a Devontae Parker or like a, you know, Arthur Lynch, whoever the hell the Dolphins took in the fifth round back in 2015, a pick that never panned out and did anything. And so there's a table in the article separating the hits, starters, contributors, and failed picks by each year. And the funny thing about it is every year they had four failed picks. And you might say that's a lot, but really the Dolphins batting average is right around the league average in terms of teams that draft pretty well, like the Patriots or the Steelers or whoever you want to put in that category. Miami's not that far off. They had the 16 failed picks over the four years. So 53% of their picks 
failed, did not work, are guys that never saw second contracts or guys that just did not produce at all to consider themselves successful draft picks. And we're putting Devontae Parker in that position too because the first round picks, those guys should be starters. If they contribute in the first round, that's not good enough. So he's a failed pick in that way. The contributors in the four-year total, we had four of them. The starters, like the Bobby McCain's, we had four of those guys as well. I put Devon Godshaw as well as Vincent Taylor in that group just to give you an idea of what we're looking at here. And then the hits. The Dolphins had six hits. So six hits, four starters, four contributors, and 16 failed picks. And that gives you percentages of 20% hits, one out of every five, so one per draft class. That's actually pretty good. And then four starters, a 13.3%, not as great. Four contributors, 13.3%, also not great. And 16 failed picks, 53.3% failure rate. So 47 or 46.7% of the Dolphins draft picks over that four-year period were guys that contributed to the football team. And that's why the idea comes in that you want to give them more bites of the apple. Give them 10 picks because if he's batting at a 47% clip, we get 10 picks. That's going to be four or five players that are going to be on your roster long-term, guys that can earn second contracts. That's a great draft haul. Four players in a draft, that's excellent. That's what you should shoot for. So give them 10 picks. That's the idea. And that is why Stephen Ross elevated Chris Greer because he's the one that really we can attribute the responsibility for those draft successes in this idea. So Stephen Ross goes forward with Chris Greer, the guy that has proven the most over the last several years as a draft operations manager in Miami. That's why Mike Tannenbaum's gone. That's why none of the other GMs lasted very long. And that's why there's this idea of optimism and excitement in Miami because they know that we've actually drafted okay and now we're going to have more draft picks and that's going to be the new model drafting guys getting more picks not spending crazy money on free agents that are overrated like Danell Ellerby like Philip Wheeler like Mike Wallace like Brandon Albert who was a good player and like Indomitian Sue who was a great player but not worth the money and so we can expect the Dolphins to work the compensatory formula to trade down more and stockpile these picks and let Chris Greer go to work and give him the chance to earn the position of GM that he has been hired to. So there's the idea. And even though the Dolphins do have $120 million in cap space projected in 2020, which we'll talk about in the next segment, they could go out and fill more spots with free agency in that way and go buy like a Stephon Gilmore in the way the Patriots did, but also extend Laramie Tunzel, Xavier Howard, extend the guys that they already have in-house and build through the draft, get more picks and do things that way. To me, it's very refreshing. I'm excited about it. The future seems right now at least bright unless we go back to 2013 with Jeff Ireland and do what he did that offseason. Okay, on the other side of the podcast here, we'll get into the Tannehill trade, the fallout, and looking back on his career, because I think we owe him that much. We'll do that next. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked on Fins. For Miami right here, it's first and goal from the three. Drake. There was probably the last fun moment of Ryan Tannehill's Miami Dolphins career, as if you have not heard by now, I don't know what you're doing listening to this podcast because you're probably not a Dolphins fan, but Ryan Tannehill traded on Friday to the Tennessee Titans, and here is how it all went down. So the Dolphins reworked his contract for the Titans and basically ate $5 million of the new contract of just dead money. Five million bucks, they ate it, it's flushed, it's gone. But they did save on what was going to be an $18 million cap hit 
and relieved future payments in 2020 as Ryan Tannehill agreed to an entirely new contract. Really pretty remarkable from Chris Greer as the Dolphins will pay Tannehill $5 million of his $7 million, the other two on the Titans' responsibility, obviously. So the Titans get a deal, the Dolphins get a deal, and Chris Greer and the staff that he assembled does fantastic work here because everyone, and myself included, thought that Tannehill would just get cut. Miami is now looking at $120 million in freed-up cap space in 2020 where they can become huge players. This trade sent the Dolphins' sixth-round draft pick, which was 188 overall this year, to Tennessee along with Ryan Tannehill for the Titans' seventh-round pick this year. It's pick 235, so the Dolphins go back about 47 spots or so and bring the Titans' fourth-round draft pick next year, which obviously is undecided right now where that will be. But Miami now has 11 picks in the 2020 draft class and probably going to wind up with even more. We'll discuss that in the final segment on today's show. But frankly, as far as what the Titans get here, I think that Tannehill can push Marcus Mariota for the starting job. He's not going to win it because the Titans are in a do-or-die year with Mariota this season as he heads into the fifth season, the option season on his contract, and they're going to want to find out if they want to commit to him long-term, and they're going to have to give him a deal like the one Tannehill got back in 2015 if they want to retain him, but to this point, I don't think you would want to. I really do think that Tannehill winds up being held in higher regard than Mariota at season's end because... This isn't to just sit here and praise Ryan Tannehill. I do think he'll get better off of all those injuries and two years removed from the reconstructive knee surgery, but I just don't think that highly of Marcus Mariota. I never really have. Going back to his time in Oregon, his third and long reel was terrible. He was a one read and takeoff kind of quarterback, which does not work. And I mean, stats don't tell the whole story, but the guy has 24 touchdown passes and 23 picks the last two years combined. This is a league that spits out two to one touchdown to interception ratios from guys like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mariota is bad, and thus, this is an ideal situation for Tannehill. And I predict that he gets into the game once Mariota gets hurt, because he does every year. And Tannehill never relinquishes the job in 2019, and he's the starting quarterback for the Titans at the end of the year in 2019. That's a bold prediction. And I guess I give myself an opportunity to wind up on old takes exposed with that. But just a quick aside, I do find it kind of funny that Cam Wake signs the Titans and then two days later, Ryan Tannehill comes along with him. I am curious to know how he feels about that. Okay, let's go ahead and change gears here. Some of you might want to skip ahead the next minute or so of the podcast, but I'm going to do an ode to Ryan Tannehill because after all, he was the quarterback of our favorite team for seven years and he provided a stabilizing force from the atrocities that were Chad Henney, Cleo Lemon, Joey Harrington. You guys know the list. All bookending that one magical season from Chad Pennington. It's been a disaster. Ryan Tannehill, not great, but he stabilized it, which is better than what we had in the past. But now it's time to move on. Before we do that, let's go ahead and say goodbye to Ryan Tannehill. And let's go ahead and start here with the goodbye tweet from Tannehill. All class, as always, from the guy. He says, Thank you to the fans, my teammates, and the Dolphins organization. For the last seven years, I've experienced some of the greatest blessings of my life in South Florida and also faced some challenges that made me the man I am today. Grateful for it all. Also, if you guys follow Lauren Tannehill on Instagram, I don't. I don't have Instagram. But he also, or she also, rather, had a very nice tweet, a parting tweet, or Instagram, whatever the hell it's called talking about their time in South Florida. Check that out. But let's go ahead and go over the top five Tannehill moments in the last seven years in Dolphins history. Ryan Tannehill for the end zone. Catch made. Touchdown Dolphins. It's 
And that, of course, the game-winning touchdown pass against the Los Angeles Rams in 2016, that magical run, the six-game winning streak, really the most fun we had as Ryan Tannehill as quarterback of the Miami Dolphins. They were down by 10 points with, I think it was four and a half minutes to go and lead two quick touchdown drives to win that game on the road. A huge, huge momentum boost for them to get into the playoffs that season. It was a dreadful day to that point, but those last couple of drives really paid it off as the Dolphins really mount a huge comeback and the, probably the biggest comeback of Tannehill's career with the Dolphins. And speaking of that six-game winning streak, let's go in to play number four. Tannehill still with the ball. Under pressure and got rid of it towards the end zone. It is caught for the touchdown. Kenny Stills. And I'm sure everybody recalls that throw in the Chargers game from that same six-game winning streak to Kenny Stills. Really one of the best throws I've ever seen any quarterback make. Just phenomenal work to stand in the pocket, take the shot on his chin, and dropped it right into the bucket. That was peak Ryan Tannehill right there, that game against the Chargers in 2016. Let's go back to 2013 for moment number three. First down of the day for the Miami Dolphins. They trail 7-0, under three minutes to go. First quarter, Tannehill. Well, forgive me for the audio there. The play keeps on skipping on Game Pass. But that, of course, the long run through the snow back in 2013 against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And speaking of winning streaks, that one back in 2013, beating the Jets, beating the Steelers, and then eventually beating a team that we're going to have on the top moment of the top moments of Ryan Tannehill's career. But that long run through the snow against Pittsburgh, a couple of mistakes in that game for Tannehill, but all things told, beat a tough Steelers team on the road in the snow that day. That was moment number three. And for moment number four, we go all the way back to Tannehill's rookie year and a 400-yard passing day in just his fourth NFL game. Two big plays, and we're back to neutral. Tannehill going deep. Of course, that comes in a losing effort, but it's hard to deny a rookie quarterback going for 400 passing yards in just his fourth game. And that was when you really thought, man, they got something here with Ryan Tannehill. So moment number two, the big pass to Brian Hartline against the Arizona Cardinals to give the Dolphins a fourth quarter lead in a huge, huge game. Of course, they went on to lose in overtime, but that is moment number two. And with that, we jump ahead to moment number one in Ryan Tannehill's Dolphins career. It's insignificant at this point. Big pin is the running back on second and ten. Tannehill lobs it. Got the pin and he's in for the touchdown. The defender had his back turned. Hightower. How about that drive by the Dolphins? Then offense, the fourth down call. In a weakness of the Patriots, the big linebackers 
covering running backs out of the backfield. And Tannehill knew the matchup the whole time and went right. And of course, that was the big, big win back in 2013, the Week 15 game over the Patriots. The Dolphins win that one. Everybody assumes they have to win one of the next two against the Bills and Jets. We know how that ended, but. Nonetheless, that moment, that game, the Michael Thomas interception of Tom Brady in the end zone to seal it. What a day that was to be a Dolphin. And just real quick before I move on to the next thing, a couple of runners up when he set the completion record against the Texans back in 2015. A lot of easy throws, but still a fun record nonetheless. The deep ball on opening day last year to Kenny Stills, the perfect throw in his first game back. And going back to 2014, the duel in Denver against Peyton Manning and the Broncos, again in a losing effort but still a great performance from the quarterback that day as we all thought he was taking a big step in the next direction going up against Peyton Manning. Of course, we saw how that ended. Did not work out, but still, those are my top eight moments, I guess, if we're taking account of all of them in Ryan Tannehill's career. And of course, the moment for me that ended it all was the Calais Campbell hit to the knee that sent him out for a year and then to not get surgery and come back again and tear it and practice the next year in training camp. And I think that kind of made him a little bit gun shy in so many ways. And that's kind of where things went wrong for Tannehill. And that's the end of that. We'll put a bow on that. We'll stop talking about Ryan Tannehill. Thanks for going through that with me. And we have a clear idea now of what the Dolphins vision and plan is heading into next off season as they acquire picks and cap space. But are they done yet? We'll discuss that next. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked on Fins. And we are moving on. And the next topic I want to get into involves Kyler Murray tape once more. And I know, I know enough Kyler Murray talk, Travis, on the podcast. We're sick of it. Well, just give me a second because watching Kyler Murray tape allows me to catch some flashes of other players on the defense that stand out for me. And I know the Big 12 is not known for defense, but four players really stood out watching Kyler do his thing on the YouTube videos. And they are Texas Edge Charles Amenahu, who is basically a carbon copy of Trey Flowers with long arms, explosive as all get out out of his stance. He can attach and disengage rather, throwing guys to the side in the running game, in the passing game. Not the most refined pass rusher, but good enough and a player I think Miami will have high on their board to target in the second, maybe third round of this year's draft. TCU game offers two players, outside linebacker Ben Bonago. He is a physical specimen and maybe a guy that can play that strong side backer that right now the Dolphins are kind of missing in this defense. And then a five tech and a three tech and one person, one player, a squatty body, TCU's LJ Collier. He plays DND tackle inside. He is exactly what the Dolphins look for at the position with the heavy hands and the good eye discipline. And a big fan of his is Kevin Dern, a friend of the podcast here. You guys know who Kevin is. And then lastly, the West Virginia game, the safety, Juan Thornhill. You guys probably remember him blowing up the combine with the amazing jumping and running times, but he flies all over the field. And you can see that speed in that game against Oklahoma. So four players there will focus on on the draft episodes of the podcast coming up in a couple of weeks, the first week in April. And the last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and it comes from a series of tweets 
from a guy I talk about all the time. You all know who he is, Chris Kaufman at CK Parrot on Twitter. And he talked a lot about the Dolphins eating the $1.1 million roster bonus for Robert Quinn in an attempt to make him more attractive as a trade piece and try to pick up more mid-round draft picks as they are doing. And he also talks about the cash owed to Rashad Jones, Robert Quinn in there, Kenny Stills, Kiko Alonso, TJ McDonald, and Akeem Spence all on unstable footing in Miami. And the fact that the Dolphins currently have $108 million in cash versus $188 million in salary cap because they're basically eating a bunch of dead money. And that idea is that they're basically trying to buy more draft picks. So will they trade Robert Quinn? Will they trade Kenny Stills, Rashad Jones? That could easily be three mid-round draft picks and maybe Akeem Spence brings you back a seventh and perhaps TJ McDonald and Kiko Alonso get you a sixth or a seventh round draft pick and just continue to stock up, load up, give yourself ultimate flexibility on draft day and rebuild this roster with young rookies and guys that fit your mentality, your program and everything you want in a player. I think it's all out there for them. I mean, if you get even three of those guys and get three draft picks, that adds to the 11 they have next year without the possibility of the Brandon Bolden comp pick, which could make it 12, which I think it's up in the air right now because... The whether the Dolphins sign guys or not will determine whether or not they keep that seventh round draft pick. But they do currently have 11 because they have two seventh round picks. Because if you'll recall, they did trade Jordan Lucas last year for a seventh round draft pick to the Kansas City Chiefs. And that was supposed to be the end of the podcast. But as is always the case, every time I try to get ahead of my work on Locked On Dolphins, the Dolphins themselves go out and do something. And on Sunday afternoon, they go out and sign the quarterback that likely starts the season under center, Ryan Fitzpatrick of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a two-year deal for $11 million. The details of that deal are not yet known as far as guarantees and the structure of the deal. I have to imagine they guaranteed some money up front to him and put little money into your number two so that he could have an option to be cut at the end of the season as the Dolphins move on to a rookie quarterback, whether it's next year, whether it's this year. Either way, nonetheless, what the Dolphins get in Ryan Fitzpatrick on the field is not as important as what they get off the field. But first, on the field, what they are getting, an absolute wild card of a player who has a strange ability to get away from pressure, despite the fact that he's not very athletic. He'll scramble, he'll make plays, he'll get out on the edge of the pocket and make some throws down the field. They get you out of your seat, but he will also, by the same token, do the same things that puts the ball in the defense's hands that make you scratch your head and wonder what the hell is this guy doing and that is why he's played for let's count them up one two three four five six seven his eighth NFL team the Miami Dolphins now he has a career record in the NFL of 50 and 75 and one as a starter he is the 21st starting quarterback since Dan Marino for the Miami Dolphins and the thing I talked about as far as what he is off the field That's the most important thing here because there are two responsibilities for a backup quarterback that serve more importance than anything else. And number, you have to have both of them. Number one, prepare the starter by any means necessary. These guys will meet in the quarterback room every single day throughout the week and find tendencies in the defense's game, how to put the game plan in place to attack that defense and draw on the experience that he has to give the young starter any advantages imaginable. And then number two, and this part you have to have obviously to complement number one, but provide that spark off the bench when you're needed in case of an emergency, a break glass in case of emergency situation, an infectious personality that can galvanize the huddle. That's an absolute requirement for the backup as the offensive guys around him have to love him and have to feel a sense of urgency to want to raise their play to a new level. It's called the Ewing theory. 
When a starter goes out, the backup comes in and the rest of the team plays better as a result. We saw it last year in the Bears game with Brock Osweiler. That's the idea for your backup quarterback. I'm not going to do a film breakdown on this on LockedOnDolphins.com because it doesn't really matter for the Dolphins' future. He might not even start this year if they draft a quarterback. I think they won't, so I do think he will. Nonetheless, we know what Ryan Fitzpatrick is, a wily veteran that'll make some wow plays, but will also turn the ball over and make you scratch your head time and time again. And this happens not just on a game-to-game basis, but on a play-to-play basis. And now I'm going to get out of here as that is my time for the podcast. As always, if you guys have a smart speaker, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull it up right away. Or if you have the Bluetooth capability in your car, please do the same there. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. That's the way it is.